God is faithful. I want you to open your Bibles to this morning to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to do our best to let the Holy Spirit lead this conversation, lead this message today, as we always do. But uh, it's important. We've got some things I think God wants to accomplish today. Um, you know that uh, tomorrow is a very important day for our nation. And uh, we're going to spend some time at the end of this service praying towards that. And so I'm going to probably uh, shorten this a little bit, but um, that's why it's so much more important that you dig in right away. You know, a lot of times a, a preacher or a pastor um, has to say things like three or four times so that people finally just click. Um, but I know you guys are sharper than that. So I'm not saying anything that's going to be complicated, but everything we hear from God requires our hearts to be open. So if it takes 15 minutes to open your heart, we've missed the point. But if you can open your heart from the start and say, God, just speak to me through this, then you'd be amazed what he can do. And so I want us to read together Matthew chapter 6 as we continue on our uh, journey through the Lord's Prayer and, and how it affects every prayer you pray in your life, that this is the way the Master taught us to pray. This is the way he taught us to, to, to uh, approach him and petition him. And I've said this a lot of times, but this prayer is split up into two halves when we Split it up to theme. Of course, Jesus didn't split it up. But uh, the first half is petitioning God for big, 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 global, major, massive things. Like, may your name be holy and revered. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Huge ideas. And yet God gave it to you as something that you should pray. And we're going to say something tonight. That uh, tonight, <laughs> this morning, that I think it's important for you to remember, Jesus never prayed anything that was not the will of the Father. That's right. So if he's praying it, you know it's God's will. So that's simple, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus never prayed against God's will. Right. Never would. A kingdom divided against itself could not stand. Now you, you might say, well, in the garden, he said, you know, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But even then, he didn't, he didn't pray, God, let this cup pass. He said, if it's possible, but not my will, but yours be done. And so there's no prayer you ever should pray that doesn't line up with the will of God. The great thing is you've got this book that God gave you that is full of his word. See, the book itself isn't, there's, there's, it's not the book. It's not having a, a special book that makes it powerful. It's the fact that God has, has breathed his word into this, that, that it is the living word of God. So you really can't treat the Bible like a book. You, you need to treat it for what it is, and it is the word of God. It is not just a book. It's not just something that you need to read. It's, it's something that carries the life of God within it and uh, is the life of God. And so Jesus was the word made flesh, all right? So this book... Without, without the reality of a living God, would fall flat. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, there'd be no, no understanding, there'd be no teaching of it, and there'd be no ability to do it. But you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. So he goes on, and, and let's read this whole prayer together, Matthew 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. He says, pray then in this way. This is the way I want you to pray. I've said this every week, but he doesn't say, I want you to pray these exact words every day, although that wouldn't hurt you. But he says, I want you to pray in this way, uh, in this manner. This is the way we should pray. This is how we should approach God. He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The verse we're focusing on today has gained a little controversy recently. Uh, the, the, the Pope, now you may not subscribe to his email newsletter, I don't know. Uh, but the reason it's kind of been in the news is because the Pope has changed, for, for Roman Catholics, he's changed this verse to be, um, don't let us fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, and his reasoning was this. As a matter of fact, I, I agree with his reasoning. I, I, I don't agree with the idea of changing the scripture. I don't think you need to do that. Uh, I don't think we should do that. I don't think you should change the scripture based on what you think it should say. I think you should just take it for what it is. But I'll tell you, the, the, I, I, I agree with his point of view on this, and we'll, we'll see it through the scripture. I don't agree with changing it, but I understand where he's coming from. Here's the thought, and here's what he said. He said, well, God would never lead us into temptation, so why are we praying that? Well, I'm praying it because that's what Jesus prayed. Now, you might say, well, aren't there a lot of translations? Yeah. And I, I've dug through some manuscripts. I've, I've read different readings of this, and this is basically what it says. I know I have been in a place. Listen, this is a preacher's admit, ad, admission right here. Can I confess something to you as a preacher? Yes. Yes. When we don't like something, we dig, dig, dig deep into the language, hoping that we can find another way to say it. <laughs> Surely the Greek will save me now, you know? You find some obscure translation that nobody's reading that backs up your point of view. <laughs> I would rather the scripture, the Bible, tell me what I believe than me tell the Bible what it should say. Yes. Here's the thing. When you pray, don't lead us into temptation, in our Western modern mindset, that to us, we infer that that means that if we don't pray that, God's going to do that. Let me give you a verse that you need to read, that you need to, in fact, you know what? Let's be so crazy. Let's just actually read it. Uh, hold your place in Matthew chapter 6. Can you do that? Do you have a finger? Some of you have multiple digits that you can use. Um, and I want you to use those, those, those fingers or a bookmark if you're, if you're a fancy person. <laughs> let's turn to the book of James just real quick because I think there's something I want you to see in this book that will hopefully illuminate God's position on temptation and God's place in temptation and that's in James chapter 1 I didn't plan to read this this morning but I think it's important James 1 verse 12 and I want to start with 12 to give it some context. James 1.12 says, Blessed is a man or woman who perseveres under trial, for he has been approved, and he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Do you hear that? Yeah. Don't let anybody say that. Nobody here should ever say God is tempting me. Don't let anyone say I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. This has got to be a foundational verse for how you see life. And it'll clear up a lot of issues that you think are God's fault. See, I, I don't believe that God 
made that man molest that girl. I don't, I don't believe that, that God made that kid go into the school and shoot up the school. There are people who will teach that God is doing that. Well, in order to have that happen, God would have had to tempt that person, put murder in his heart, put abuse in his heart or her heart. God doesn't do this. I believe in an omniscient, omnipotent God. I also believe in a God that has given us a choice to obey or disobey. There's consequences for that. You know, the Bible said it's not his will that any should perish, but we all read the scriptures that say people are going to perish. Yes. God doesn't want it that way, but it's going to be that way. Now, that's a complex issue because I'm also not on the other side that says God is just finding out what's happening. I've talked to people that think that God is looking, watching the TV like the rest of us going, huh, I wonder what this is going to be. Like God doesn't know if the Eagles are going to win today or not. He doesn't know. I believe he does. He's seen the movie. Because God's not inside of time. He's already there. Yes. He's already seen that the Eagles are going to win today. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Mom, but they're going to beat the Cowboys, and that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> just kidding. I, I, no, I take that back. Listen, I need to put a disclaimer. That was just me. <laughs> Everything else I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to try to say what God's saying. That was just me being silly. Okay. So you know. I got a scoop. I got a hot scoop. There's a prophetic word in church. The eagles are going to take it by 20. <laughs> no, there's nothing there. <laughs> Don't do that. You shouldn't gamble anyways. <laughs> Let no one say, I'm being tempted by God. We have a lot of ways to say that. We might not say it that way. We might find a nice loop around to say that, but don't let anybody say God is tempting me. He cannot be tempted by evil. He doesn't tempt anyone. So if that's the case, okay, Jesus, why are you praying? Don't lead us into temptation. Let me give you another point. If you're not convinced by that, I'll give you one more. Jesus is not saying, if it's possible, don't lead us into temptation. He's straight up saying, do not lead us into temptation. Do you believe Jesus would, let's just imagine for a minute that it's God's will to lead some people into temptation sometimes. Just imagine with me. I know you guys are like such, you're, no, I won't imagine that. Vain imagination. I take captive every thought that exalts itself. Yeah, all right. All right, faith people, let's just chill for a minute. Just come with me. Just imagine if that was God's will, then why would Jesus pray directly against the will of the Father? Would he do that? Would he pray against God's will? No, so if he is praying, don't lead us into temptation, I can infer from that, it is not God's will that any be led into temptation. God is not leading you into temptation. God is not tempting you. And then you might say, well, what about when the Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted? That's a different story altogether. Jesus was not tempted by God. He was tempted by the devil. And God brought him to a place where he was going to battle that and he was going to win. God didn't lead him into temptation. Into temptation is different than being led to a place where you'll be tempted. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's a different story. Into, it's like, it's like when someone is in sin, that's different, isn't it? Into temptation means you've, you're, into, you're in the trap. You are, you know, God led you into that trap. God would not lead you into the snare of the fowler. He delivers us from the snare of the fowler, the Bible says. All right? So the, 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 one of the main things throughout the scripture is that we need to see God as our deliverer. 
If you don't see God as your deliverer, if you think God is the one who's somehow playing a sick prank on you, then you'll never see him as the rescuer. God is the only rescue. Because what a lot of people do is they don't know why this is happening or what's happening. So they, they look to God and they don't really look at him as, as the way out. They look to themselves for rescue. They look to themselves for deliverance. And there's something wonderful in the book of Revelation that is found actually throughout the Psalms, but it's so clearly stated in Revelation that salvation belongs to our God. Salvation doesn't just mean that moment where you, you got saved, you gave your life to Jesus. The word salvation means to be rescued, and there's a lot of things you need to be saved from. And every one of those things, salvation, belongs to God. He's the one in every sense. There's, there's, there's a, a, a verse in the Old Testament prophets where he says, Is there any other rock? I know of none. He says, Is there any other rock? I don't know of any. This is God speaking. If he doesn't know about it, it's not there. Right? And, and, and then you see in the Psalms, he says, To God alone belongs deliverances from death. He says, our God, King David wrote this, our God is a God of salvation. To him alone belongs deliverances from death. And so he, that's, that word deliverance is plural. God is the, always the rescuer. He's always the deliverer. And if you believe that, you'll always look to him for rescue. That's your source. You're not looking to you. You're looking to him. You're not looking to your friends. You're not looking to anything else. You're looking to God. God, you are my deliverance. You're my salvation. You're my rescue. And you just keep your eyes on him until you're on the other side of that. Because we all know there's different, there's seasons where it was, a, it, was it seemed like, wow, I bar that thing barely, barely came up. It was so quick. There was other times where there was a real battle and you had to stay hooked into God. You had to hold tight to his word because everything around you said, God doesn't seem to be coming through. And you said, yes, he is. Like that song says, that Waymaker song, even when I don't see it, he's working. Right. Never stops working. Yeah. Amen. So I want to go back to that Matthew chapter 6. Do not lead us into temptation. Why? So then why is Jesus praying this? What's the point of praying it if God wouldn't do that? Well, I mean, I, I've read the Bible, maybe not as, as much as some of you, but I've read it a lot. And you notice sometimes they don't talk like us. And sometimes in the scripture, they affirm things about God that are true about God. And they say it in a way that kind of trips up our English thinking. Because we wouldn't say that, would we? I, I wouldn't say into Spiro's, and don't poison me, Spiro, but give me good food. And he'd be like, what are you implying I'm going to poison you? But sometimes you're affirming something about God that is already who he is. He's contrasting these two things. God, you would never lead us into temptation. But what we do need is to be delivered from temptation. Be delivered from evil. I want to talk to you about that in a minute. Because I, I, I want to address something that a lot of us, without knowing, we don't, we don't look at sin and we don't look at evil the right way sometimes. So, a lot of times because of our separation from God before Jesus brought us back to the bosom of the Father and reconciled us through his blood. That's what he did on the cross. He reconciled you. You are reconciled. You're not waiting to be reconciled. You are reconciled. You got to live from that place. Live from that place as a child of God. Not trying to get there. You're there. 
live out of that place, right? So a lot of times when we approach evil, we approach sin that's, that's the, the Bible talks about sin that has beset you, sin that has, has, has taken over, it's, it's trapped you. Have you guys noticed that every sin carries that same character about it? It is an addiction that starts out, the Bible says, that sin, excuse me, sin has pleasure for a moment, but in the end it leads to destruction. Sin always has a bait and then a hook, and then you can't get free on your own. And the thing we try to do is because, just like Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they felt ashamed. Shame and sin go together. There was no shame in the garden before sin. Naked and unashamed, the Bible says. Shame came with sin. And the reaction to that shame was to hide from God. And God was the only one who could help them in that situation, but he was the one they were most afraid of. And they went and hid in the bushes as if God couldn't find them in the bushes. It's just about as cute as your toddler putting their hands over their eyes thinking you can't see them. There's so many times that you see somebody who's stuck in a sin, stuck in, stuck in evil, held captive. But the shame of that thing that's captured them keeps them from ever looking to the one who wants to help them. Keeps them from talking to other people in the body that could help them. Keeps them from, they look at God as the, the guy who's going to spank them rather than the God who's going to save them. Do you know what I mean? God is not our deliverer. God, in that case, is our executioner, and we don't want that. Have you ever considered that nobody here has the power to overcome sin? Nobody. Without Jesus, without the Spirit of God, without being reborn, you don't have the power. So what we end up doing is we end up saying, give me a chance to overcome it. Give me a chance to get past this. Give me a chance to get through it. So I can come back to church and smile at people and not feel weird. Okay, give me a chance so that when I pray, I don't feel that weird thing in the pit of my stomach where I feel like a hypocrite. Have you ever considered this? Because we throw the word hypocrite a lot around. you ever considered who you are? You are a child of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you consider if that's the case, if that's who you really are, what is your reality? Your biggest reality should be who you are in Christ. That should be bigger than any other reality. Have you ever considered that coming and worshiping God is not your moment of hypocrisy? It's going out into the world and living like you're not a child of God. That's the hypocrisy. And if you just say, that's not who I am, this is who I am, the enemy will use the same lie. You can't go back. You can't. You're acting like a Christian. What a hypocrite. That's the real part of you. The hypocrite is the one who goes out and forgets who he is or who she is. And that lie comes back over and over again. We all know it. Not one person here has ever said, it's been 50 years since I was tempted with anything. If that's what you think, you're probably deeper, you're, you need more help than, than the rest of us. <laughs> I'll sing about Isaiah 58. Anybody here like Isaiah 58? Nobody's going to say no. <laughs> it's probably a safe bet, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, still say yes, because... What's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is I'm going to ask you what it says. 
Eric, what is that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Isaiah 58 talks about the kind of fast that God wants. He, he had grown tired of their outward show of worship without an inward change. He had grown tired of the fact that they claimed to really love God, but they were really mistreating each other. And uh, he talks about, this is what I'm looking for, and he, he spends a lot of time talking about taking the homeless into your home and, and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. And he talks about removing the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. But one of the things that he says right off the bat is, is it not to break the bonds of wickedness and the yoke of oppression? Now, you can see that uh, certainly there is a practical stop oppressing the poor people idea in that chapter that I think you should take from it. But when Jesus came in Luke chapter 4 and talked about setting the captives free and, and breaking oppression off of people, then we saw that that bond of wickedness, those bonds of wickedness, what, what are bonds? It's bondage. It's something that chains you up. That there is a bondage of wickedness that mankind has been stuck in since the fall and we can't get out of it without a savior. And, 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 and as much as we coach people and as much as we try to encourage folks and as much as we try to show this is why it would be good for you to stop doing that, a lot of times it's not a matter of someone saying, yeah, I'll just quit. How many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but there's no shame in it, but you've ever quit smoking or have you ever quit something that, that your brain became chemically addicted to? Uh, you know, it wasn't a matter of just saying, for a lot of you, it wasn't a matter of just saying, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to stop. It, it, took a, it took something to yank you out of that. And for a lot of you, that's something, you know, I know some of you, it was, you know, it, was, it may have been a program or something, but for a lot of you, the, the, the real power that yanked you out of it was the power of God. Now, we need to stop just assigning that to these few things. We need, to, we need God's deliverance. And we need to just open up the gates and say every single thing, every single sin, whether it be pride, whether it be the fear of people, whether it be all of these things are a bondage, are something that's going to keep you captive. And in every single case, your deliverer, your deliverer is here to break the bond of wickedness. Now, what's cool about Isaiah 58 is he doesn't say, this is what I'm going to do. He says, this is what I want you to do. Right. His people are meant to yeah. be bondage breakers. They're meant to be those that see someone stuck and say, I'm not okay with you still being there. Yeah. Not out of a place of judgment, but out of a place of compassion and love. You say, that's killing you, and it's killing the people around you. And Jesus, now that we are in the New Testament, Jesus has come that we might have abundant life. That the thief would be stopped in his tracks and he no longer can steal and kill and destroy what God has put in you. And so this is important that when we read this and we say deliver us from evil, that we believe that God can and desires to deliver you from evil. So you need to get over the awkwardness of I don't want to talk to God when I'm stuck. I want to talk to God when things are good. I want to talk to God when I'm celebrating. I want to talk to God when I feel holy. Uh, let me tell you, you, you need to go get over your feelings for a bit and start living by faith and say, I'm going to talk to God right now because I need him. This is when I need him the most. I need to run to the Father. As Jesus said in the parable of the prodigal son, that boy came to his senses. 
How long is it going to take for us to come to our senses? Isn't that amazing? What, what a phrase. There, there was a boy, if you don't know the story, there was a, there was a young man who left his father's farm and, and, and said, give me my half of the inheritance and I'm going to just go and do my own thing. He rejected his father's um, employment. He, well, it really wasn't employment. It was a place in the family business. It was place at the table. He rejected that and he went away to a far off country where he, he did, you know, he just wasted his money, which is where we get the name prodigal. Prodigal means wasteful. It's just not sense, no sense to it, just threw it away. And he threw away all this money and he got to the point where he eventually just started working for a pig farmer, feeding the pigs, which was against his religion. But he was so desperate, he took the, the lowest job he could take. And the Bible says that he got, it got so bad that he started envying the pigs. He wished he could eat their food. And he finally, the Bible says, when he came to his senses, he said, I will arise and go back to my father. When he came to his senses, I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen when God brought sense back to a person. And they said, why am I in this pit? Why am I in this pigsty? I'm going back to the Father. There is, a, there is something within you as a child of God. That's who you are. And anything that doesn't line up with that, it's a deception. The book of James says that when we're just hearers and we don't do the word, we're like somebody who looked in a mirror and saw who we were. What's the mirror? It's God's word. Mm -hmm. Where do you see who you are? Do you see who you, is your mirror what people say about you? Is your mirror what you think they're saying about you? Is your mirror what you're seeing on Instagram or what, what, what the news are saying? No, those aren't your mirrors. Your mirror is what the word says about you. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And what's so cool about it is that, that, that this word was written before you did anything. And it's still true. Right. It doesn't change. You don't go out and do something stupid and open your Bible and, oh, that scripture suddenly says, hey, you can't be saved. You know, it still says what it says because it's an eternal truth. Yep. And when you see yourself in the eternal mirror, that's who I am. Yeah. And he says, but when we don't live it, we're like somebody who walked away and forgot who we, yep. we are. It doesn't say you changed who you are. It doesn't say you're not that person anymore. It just says you've forgotten. I had a friend who said, you know, we really need to stop calling unsaved people the lost. That seems kind of insensitive. He said, I don't think, I don't think it's very nice to say they're lost. They probably don't want to be called that. I said, I understand what you're saying, but I think you're seeing lost from the wrong perspective. I think when you hear lost, you hear it from their perspective of somebody who just has no clue. And let's face it, none of us had a clue before we came to Jesus, but... I get it. But do you know where we find the word lost a lot? It's in the Gospels when Jesus talks about people that have great value to him. You see, if you see the word lost from your perspective, yeah, it sounds a bit insulting. But if you see it from Jesus' perspective, what he's saying is, you're mine and I want you back. Parable of the lost coin. Parable of the lost sheep parable of the lost son. Right. Yeah. Lost means you belong to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lost means 
I'm not okay with you not being here. Lost means I looked around and saw you weren't here, and I'm going to go find you. Lost carries the imperative that we need to find. This person is somebody that's being sought out. Somebody is seeking you. And all of a sudden, lost isn't an insult anymore. All of a sudden, lost is a statement of, I have great value to somebody. Somebody's noticed I'm gone. And somebody's not okay with it. And that somebody is your father. He said, I'm not okay with you not being at my table. I'm not okay with you being in a place that's killing you, that's, that's kept you captive. I want you free. I want you home. I want you next to me. Suddenly lost says, I went away from the shepherd and he left 99 to come find me. That's how much value I had. When you see that, Jesus talks about that when Zacchaeus, this little dude, weird little dude, <laughs> he's a grown man, one of the richest guys in town, yet he climbs a tree to go see Jesus. And Jesus, well, everybody else is probably trying not to make eye contact with Zacchaeus. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, weird little dude. And he just calls him Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Everybody looks at him like, no, no, don't do that. You're going to lose the election. If they take pictures with you at this guy's house, done. Canceled. He goes to his house, and he sits with him, and he just eats with him. And he invites other people to come, too. His disciples are at the table. And Zacchaeus all of a sudden stands up, and he just says... I've, uh, I've sinned. I, you know, I, I stole. See, he became the richest man in town from stealing from everybody else. He was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. And tax collectors in his place, in his time, were not only considered traitors, they were considered thieves. Thieves because they took their extra money. If you were a rich tax collector, it means you took a lot that you shouldn't take. That's how you became rich. He said, I stole a lot. Now I want to pay it back up to four times what I stole. And Jesus took criticism for going to that guy's house. He said, isn't this somebody who was lost? Isn't this somebody who was lost? Didn't I come to seek and save the lost? He said that multiple times over different situations. Have you ever considered that we were all held captive in the bonds of iniquity, in the bondage of wickedness? Have you started to look at people? Yeah, we were all rebels. Yeah, we all rejected God at some point or another, even if we didn't know it. But even then, God's desire was to deliver you from that. I want to read you a story in the book of Acts, chapter 8. In Acts, chapter 8, Philip has gone to Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel, and demons are coming out, and people are being healed and saved, and it's wonderful. Great miracles are taking place. It says in verse 14, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon, this is not Simon Peter, this is a, a guy that's known as Simon the Magician. 
The Bible tells us a few verses before he had practiced magic arts, witchcraft, sorcery, and, and the whole city was really big fans of this guy. They said he was working with the great power of God, but it was all a deception. He was really working for, for the devil. He didn't know it. When Simon saw this, that it was bestowed through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. Now that word bitterness to us, when we hear bitterness, we just think of, you know, like bitter, like I'm upset at somebody, I'm mad at somebody. But that word bitterness in the Bible means poisonous. Right? So when the waters were bitter, it wasn't that they tasted bad, they were poison. They'd kill you. The gall of bitterness, there's a poison in you. And in the bond of iniquity, in the chains of iniquity, in the chains of sin, in the bondage of sin, he says, Simon, you don't even realize you are so deep down this hole. You don't even realize that there is a poison at work in you and there are chains on you. There is a yoke on you. You don't realize you're a captive and you need to repent and pray that you be delivered. And rather than receiving what Peter said to him, now why did Peter speak so harshly to him? Because Peter was really compassionate with a lot of other people. Why did he speak so harshly to this man? Because this man was so deep into deception that it took a blunt word to wake him up. Right? The Bible says to have mercy on some who are doubting, but it says others you need to save snatching them from the fire. You guys know there's a difference between saying, oh, oh, don't go there, there's a fire there, and somebody who's just about to go fully engulfed, and you grab them out. There's a difference in urgency, in violence, right? Sometimes it takes violent action to save somebody. Don't misinterpret me. <laughs> not, you, not physical violence. I mean, that word was a hard word. Right. You needed to hear it. Simon didn't receive it. He actually said, um, pray to the Lord for me yourself so that nothing of what you said may come upon me. See, he missed the whole point. He didn't say, I repent. He didn't say, I'm sorry. He just said, well, you guys pray so that that doesn't happen to me. He didn't want to be free. He just didn't want the bad things to happen. Repentance is a powerful act. Repentance is a violent act. God will rapidly, massively, just even sometimes in, in, in a way that, that seems... Just downright violent, but in the best way. You know what I mean? He'll deliver you. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and be rescued. Peter, Peter urged, even after people got saved, on the day of Pentecost, when those thousands came to the Lord, he didn't stop preaching. A lot of times we stop preaching when someone gets saved. Job done, going to heaven. 
Peter didn't stop. He said, it said, with many different urgings and entreaties, he, he kept talking to them and kept saying, kept saying, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. What he's saying is, guys, there is something about your culture that has poisoned you. And I know you've been saved from hell, but now God wants to deliver you from the same way of thinking and living that has kept so many people in bondage. Do you know what? He was talking to religious people. And a lot of times us religious folk, us people have been going to church, and I hope we're not religious in the worst way of religious, but a lot of us church people, we think we were set free 30, 20, 40 years ago, and you were, praise God. But you, you just think that that was the last time you had to have a conversation about repentance. No, of course, guys, that God is continually delivering us right. from when we begin to forget who we are. I would urge you today, Go to the Lord. You know, the Bible says something beautiful in 1 Corinthians. It says that there is no temptation that you won't be able to stand. No temptation that you can't fight. And it says this, God wouldn't even let you be tempted beyond what you were able to fight. Now, people have misquoted that and said, God won't give you more than you can handle. That does not, that's not what the scripture says. He said he wouldn't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able so is God making me tempted? No. But he gave you the tools and said, you can stand. And when you're tested, you'll stand. And when the fiery darts come, you'll stand. And when the enemy throws everything at you, you'll stand. And if that wasn't the case, I wouldn't even put you there. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't put you in a ring, you couldn't win the fight. He didn't send you to a, a, a front that you couldn't win the battle. And he says, and this is the end of the verse, and I want you to hear it. This is, he says, for there is no temptation in which you can endure, and he hasn't provided. For every temptation, he has provided a way of escape. Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to hear that, and I want you to believe that. There is a way of escape. There's a way of escape out of every temptation, out of every bondage, every captivity, every oppression, there is escape. And you know the way of escape? Jesus told us he was the way. He doesn't just have a way. He is the way of escape. So at every door, when you, when you feel like the walls have been closing in on you and there's spikes on them, and all of a sudden you see a boot bust through the wall, and it's Jesus himself saying, come with me if you want to live. He's the one you look for. He's always at the door. He's always the one you're looking for. He's the one that said, I made a way. Resist. The Bible says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will run away from you. Sometimes you just don't feel like that's your reality. It doesn't feel like the devil's running from me. Well, go back. What does it say? Submit yourself to God. Why? Because the devil's not afraid of you. He's afraid of who's in you. He's real afraid of the one that's in you. So get under his covering. Get under his shelter and watch as your deliverer proves that that's his name. And I want you to know that it is not just our job to be delivered. It is our job to be instruments of deliverance. That, that sometimes you need to be like Peter and say, you don't realize it, but you're stuck. Sometimes that conversation is a lot gentler depending on where they're at. The Holy Spirit will lead you, but... Can we just stop saying that 
overcoming sin is a matter of self-help? You can't. There's no self-help book that'll save you. You don't have that power. Can we say, I can't help myself, but I have help? Can we say, I need help, but I have help? Amen? In fact, why don't you say that with me? I need help. Now let's say, I have help. I have help. Believe it. Stop trying to use willpower. You know, one of my, David McGrew was just here on Wednesday night. He said something that stuck with me for years. He said, if you discipline your flesh with your flesh, you will only serve in making yourself, your flesh stronger. What does the Bible say? Walk by the Spirit. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. In fact, Romans 7 has Paul going, I hate, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things I wish I didn't do, I hate to do. He said, my, I feel like I'm at war within myself. And a lot of people stop reading at the end of chapter 7 like the letter stopped. But the letter didn't stop. He kept writing. In fact, there were no chapters there. It was just a letter. Yeah. And he keeps writing and he says, but thanks be to God. who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus and he begins to tell you how to live by the Spirit. His point is, you cannot overcome this by the flesh, but by the Spirit. You will overcome. The Holy Spirit is aware and not afraid of your weaknesses. In fact, where you are weak, that's his opportunity to be strong. So look to Jesus. Come on, guys. Look to Jesus when you are so deep in it that you're ashamed to tell anybody. Look to Jesus before you even get in dipping your toe into the shallow end. Can I just tell you, don't wait until it gets so bad that you have to call up to God. Look to God right away. I mean, I, I mean how many... How many people would be saved from a whole bunch of trouble if, can I give you an example? A married person just finds it kind of fun to flirt at work. I feel good about myself. These people make me feel a way that my spouse doesn't make me feel. This is nice. I just, I, nothing serious. I'm just a little flirty. What you've done is you've allowed the little trace, a little speck of adultery. It's not, it's not the act. It's not serious to you. And you've played with it. You've made friends with it. And before you know it, you, you're going home thinking about that. You're looking forward to going back to work. Well, this might be fun. Something's playing around with your mind, your heart, and you begin to recognize there's a foreign entity at work here. This is not who I am. Now, you could just say, bad, stop it. <laughs> or you could take that to the Lord right away. Say, Lord, I, I played with some things I shouldn't have played with here. There's something at work here that I know is not you. So I'm going to give this to you right now. I'm not going to wait till it becomes a full-blown issue. Nobody at work knew it was an issue. Your family may not know it's an issue, but it's an issue in your heart. And all of those chains, we see people in chains like this, but those chains started just with a little, chains started looking out like jewelry. What you need to do is you need to resist the devil right from the start. Nip it in the bud. And I want to tell you something. I'm telling you this as your pastor. If I'm your pastor, I realize not everybody here, I'm your pastor. There's a difference between the guy that preaches to you and your pastor. But if I'm your pastor, I want to tell you today, there is not one thing that you can bring to the body of Christ, not one thing that you can confess and say, this is what I'm fighting, this is what I'm dealing with, that makes you unacceptable to us if you're willing to repent. 
Now, if you say, this is just me, and you can't stop me, this is what I want to do. I kill puppies. That's what I do. Now, then we're not going to be okay with that. I had to pick something everybody agreed was bad. <laughs> you have to have a repentant heart. But if you say, I'm stuck, and there's a lie in your head, you couldn't tell. Don't tell anybody. They'll never trust you again. Don't tell anybody. They never look at you the same again. Oh, the last person you want to tell are those Christians. They'll, they're the most judgmental. I know that voice. You know why he's so good at lying? He's been doing it since the beginning of time. But he doesn't have any original lies. He just has remixes. Do you know how you beat him? The blood of, your, blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And you don't love your life even unto death. That's, that's how you overcome him. And you know, in the context of that scripture, you know who the hymn is? It's the dragon, the one who has been accusing our brethren day and night before God. How do you overcome accusation? By saying, I know who I am by the blood of Jesus. By the word of your testimony, this is who I am. And don't put your life before your mission. Don't put the love of this and the love of that and the fear of losing it. I know a lot of people have been stuck. I know pastors who've gotten so deep in the bond of iniquity because they were afraid they were going to lose their job. That cost them their life. Don't get deep. And if you are deep, you can still get out. It's time to open up and trust God. It's time to open up and trust people. Amen? Let's stand up. We're going to pray together.